here. Check it, yeah. We in this together. A Spelmanite is a warrior fighting for justice. We can never be silent, so yeah, we causing a ruckus. Lift our voices up to bring injustice down. Speaking truth to power, we loving the sound. Undaunted by the fight, love is all we need. It's time to clear out the air so we all can breathe. Ain't no stopping us, we stick together. This bond is gonna last forever. Marching every day until we free. That's our buried treasure. Well, welcome back to the Blue Record Podcast. My name is Kayla Smith. I am a junior international studies major from Stone Mountain, Georgia. I guess I could say I'm a senior now because the semester's <laughs> over. Yeah. But I serve as your founder, director, and a host today on our episode. Hi, everyone. My name's Gabby. I'm the director of technical operations for the podcast, and today I'm also a host. Hey everyone, my name is Hollis and I am a host. Yes. How are you guys doing? I know the semester just ended and, you know, we're still reeling from the effects of this transition. Like, what's going on? Quick little mental health check-in. Um, I'm doing great today because for a moment in archival history, yesterday the Savage Remix was released um and gabby our co-host is from texas i just think it's such an amazing day to be her it is um such a point (laughs) of pride in culture at large um yeah i'm doing okay it's the end of the semester now but i'm still trying to get used to just being at my house getting my sleep in order i i always know that it's a it's a rough point for me because what I've been rewatching old television shows that I've already seen a hundred times, and that's just like my quirk. I always some people don't like to rewatch, but I will do it over and over again, especially when I'm feeling bad. Oh, on so, May fifteenth, yeah. let me tell you, Avatar: The Last Airbender drops on Netflix. <laughs> I will not be. You can't reach me on May fifteenth. I will be gone for the next five days rewatching. Yeah every episode so oh absolutely we might be struggling but netflix is doing well (laughs) right speaking of which now i guess we can transition into our brief news section like everybody already knows there's a pandemic going on was global is global um, but right didn't now, surprise. <laughs> right. So just a few things that have been going on or that are in the news right now. At least 31 states are going to begin reopening actually in the next few days. Most states have issued some variation of a lockdown it's going back six weeks ago. Now we've been since the middle of March. So I believe Georgia was actually one of the first states to for their governor to say that they're going to start opening up like immediately (laughs) i believe georgia had restaurants open like last friday but uh over the over the next couple weeks most more than half of the states are going to start to reopen so we're moving into the first phase of i guess getting back to 
a new normal, <laughs> a new normal is upon us. Um, also in the news, unemployment for the past six weeks has added up to almost 30 million total. It's the most people that's ever filed for unemployment in such a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Also of note, there's been a meat packing plant um, crisis, and a lot of these meat plants in America have had outbreaks with their workers, but Trump doesn't want to shut them down. Um, but they also can't really <laughs> be open. So if you're thinking about buying a bunch of meat, maybe don't because <laughs> a shortage is on the way. Be mindful of that. And then just in politics, uh, the New York primary, um, presidential primary was canceled. And there's been a large discussion about whether or not vote by mail is going to happen and is viable with how the United States Postal Service is currently operating, which is not well. So there's that. That's the news with Gabby. Wow. Thank you so much for those uplifting updates. Not much good news. (laughs) Just to give a bit of an update that's more campus specific to Spelman. Um, Throughout this chaotic time that started with our spring break being extended an extra week to sort of give students and professors a chance to acclimate to moving back home and transition to online classes. There's been a lot of virtual town halls to try to keep the community updated as well as um, campus events. So we had our first, hopefully last, although it was wonderful, um, virtual Founders Day, a virtual Miss Spellman pageant that maybe Kayla can tell us a bit about, and virtual Spellbound. So it's been quite a time. If you want to touch on that, Kayla, what was that like experience like? It definitely was a time. For those who may not know, I humbly serve as your first attendant to Miss Spellman College. Yay! Yay! Thank you, guys. It was definitely different. Um, You know, it's kind of hard to adjust to the fact that I would have to campaign in a pandemic because if we were back on the normal schedule programming of life, we would have all been on campus. There would have been an unveiling. We would have had a few weeks to ourselves to campaign on campus and on social media. I would say for me, it was a little draining posting a lot and Mm. asking for people to repost my material or get their friends to vote because I want to be respectful of the fact that not everyone is in a good space right now, mentally, even emotionally, even physically. And just doing that, I kind of felt um, ethically compromised. So I've been reflecting on that um, post the pageant, but I am honored that the campus and the judges saw that I am worthy to represent you guys. So that that made me feel good, but you know, ethically speaking, I kind of felt bad. Yeah. But congrats. Congratulations. We are so proud and excited to see what's to come in better days. Yes. And congrats to um the the rest of the court as well, Taylor, Janet, and uh, Morgan Stadden. Shout out to you all. <laughs> we love you all. And also shout out to Class of 24 for participating in Spellbound. Um, the blue record was highlighted. So thanks. Big shout out to Spellman Admissions. Thank you for having us. So, yeah. But um, in addition to 
those events and those fun announcements. Um, Dr. Campbell also released a letter in the New York Times just reflecting on the changing times that the Spelman community is in and what that's meant for our students, um, as well as college updates regarding our grading policy. So for this semester, the college and professors have elected to allow students to take on a pass-fail option, as opposed to having a letter grade on their transcripts to accommodate for the myriad of struggles that a really fast-paced online learning environment has presented. There were also student efforts to work towards a universal pass option, meaning that all students would pass. Um, but the college elected for the pass-fail option, meaning that if you have a C- minus or above, you pass, but it has no impact on your transcript like a letter grade would. But if you fail, which is below a C-, minus, it would impact your um, GPA. So other events that were put on hold this semester, like we talked about before, we had the Spellman pageant, we had Spellbound, all of those things. Sadly, for our graduating class of 2020, senior week commencement, all of those things have sort of halted, if not been canceled completely. Right now, the college is looking at pushing commencement back after students showed us very clearly that it would be unacceptable to not have a commencement in the history of Selman traditions. And so we're seeing what dates for that might work out. But regardless, as classes have ended, like Kayla said earlier, congratulations to the class of 2020 for graduating, for becoming yes. alumna. That's a really big accomplishment, even though everything in life seems really big right now. And hopefully we'll all be able to come together from, for some sort of celebration for them at some point in the future. Yes. Uh, hopefully, hopefully this year still, by the end of the year. Well, now the conversation can transition to our archival segment. Here on The Blue Record, we are intellectuals, creatives, and thinkers galore, and we love to be in conversation with the archives. So to have this conversation, I wanted to, well, we wanted to bring a very special guest to us, to the social justice program, our beloved graduating senior, Ms. Autumn Simmons. Autumn, would you mind introducing yourself? Thank you, Kayla. Hi, uh, my name is Autumn Simmons. As Kayla said, I'm a graduating senior. Um, I was, I am a social justice fellow and I'll be graduating Spelman um, with a degree in sociology and anthropology. And I'm so, so honored, so flattered to be here in this amazing project. We're so excited to have you. Do you consider yourself an alum? At this point, uh, since classes are over. I have quite a ways, baby, but, you know, I will be sending that out the moment I submit my thesis. <laughs> Got it. We wanted to use the archives this time around to reflect on how Spelman and Spelman students have handled past um, disruptions in daily life or past mm -hmm. um, traumatic events, such as, you know, the COVID-19 crisis that we're currently dealing with, so we can kind of share in a parallel moment and learn from the past and be able to look forward to the future. Um, oh, and shout out to our archives teams who did all the research for this. That would be Joe Osaragwe and Shaquavia. Shout out to y'all. They came up with all of these documents. We love you. 
And so the two major things that we're going to focus on were the 1968 um, assassination of Martin Luther King and then um, the events of September 11th and what the campus was doing. So our archives team actually found a letter to Dr. King that was written in the Spelman Spotlight in 1968 from um, Spelman's sister Linda Hausch, I believe is how you pronounce it. And I won't read the whole letter. It's kind of long. But again, if you're interested in reading the letter for yourself, we urge you to go to the archives, um, the digital archives online and do some digging for yourself. Because this year in particular, 1968, has some amazing, um, amazing history and documentation of what student activists were doing at that time. So Mm -hmm. but I will read a small excerpt from the very end that reads. Using our minds and our talents, we will take command of our educational resources and learn as much as we can. If learning the mechanics of economic and political self-determination is what it takes for freedom, we shall learn those mechanics. If the new ideas of economic cooperatism and social communalism are what it takes, we shall choose those roads. Which, wow. (laughs) <laughs> reading that in this time yeah very poignant very prevalent relevant to our current situation it's interesting to see how Spelmanites at that time were dealing with this kind of traumatic event in a way that focused on action and education they really her her call was to take education even more seriously now that this event was going on and then we also have um a editorial write-up from Takara Brunson in the Spelman Spotlight mm-hmm. about how Spelman was dealing with the events of September 11th, 2001, um, a year later. And the headline reads, part of grieving is moving on. Spelman students attend a prayer breakfast and go to classes as normal on September 11th. The piece goes on to describe how students are trying to balance paying respects and remembering the past while also moving on to a new normal and dealing with their current situation. There's also um, a picture of a banner that a student hung on Spelman's campus that says, our grief is still not a cry for war, 9-11-2002. So that's kind of, you know, wow. we have a history of students with who with calls for activism and calls for peace and war times. And there's a third letter that we're going to discuss in a little bit with Autumn, but for now we wanted to just open up discussion about these two major events and how our campus our campus dealt with them in the past. Um, it would seem that when our Spelman sisters were dealing with loss, they took to writing and these kinds of personal letters um, express how students attempted to heal and process these different tragic events. So now that we face some unfamiliar circumstances of our own, how can we use our creative abilities in ways that propel us forward towards a sense of normalcy, whatever that is? Mm. (laughs) Well, um, this is a very, very um, thoughtful question. And it takes me back to like, um, a class that I had with Dr. Shania Cordes in the anthropology department, shout out to her. Um, and she invited a guest lecturer um, from UT Austin, Texas, Dr. Omi Onshun. And um, we had a similar question that was posed 
you know, she's a scholar, but she's also an artist and um, she's also an elder. So she's had, she's kind con- she's traveled through many, many traumatic events and, you know, still sustain a practice of um, scholar activism that's rooted in art and um, creative abilities. And so when one of my classmates asked, you know, obviously, you know, during Corona, how is, how does she find joy and how is that connected to healing? Um, I kind of reflect on her words in the, for this question when she was talking about how you have to, you know, listen to this, like, you know, the, the messages that your body sends you and, you know, like, and write it down and create joy. And so like through that, you can find healing and like, and find some type of solace in knowing that, you know, like this yeah. is going to be documented, like the, the things that you're moving through your body, through your mind, through your spirit was going to be documented but then through that like writing process she found she founded that like she can look back as the time the days and the months went on and she found like joy in the fact that she wasn't where she was when she first started the writing process and so mm-hmm. um for her journaling or documenting um these things and i know this is a very dramatic way to say journal but i think in terms of like how she described meaning to it in the sense that like you are you know, you're not like having a prompt to talk about um, these things, but you're just kind of like however your body sends you, sends a message to the pen, like that's what you're supposed to record. And so I think that that is something that I took on with me and to create a new sense of normalcy. Mm, I really like that. That's- yeah, me too. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that uh, to your point, Autumn, it's really important to document how we're feeling in these times not only because it's historically relevant and this will be something wild to look back on as something that we've experienced in our lives but also to like you said earlier keep perspective about the fact that eventually things will change and things will continue to change and be different and we won't always be in this situation and I think that's what the archives allowed us to reflect on Mm -hmm. our archival team to reflect on during this research process but that's also something that we can do in a more sort of personal intimate way Mm -hmm. so I really like that yeah Yeah. well said basically sums it up (laughs) thank you thank you lately I've been seeing a lot of people posting about how they've like taken up new art forms to release their emotions Mm -hmm. during this period Um, The biggest one I've noticed is writing. Some are making music. Mm -hmm. I've seen some of my friends are doing kind of like fashion catalogs for my artsy people from Clark, who I know. So it's just kind of, it's refreshing. I think we're all tapping back into the arts. And I think that's providing some type of grounding in this period. Right. I, I agree. And I think that the section of the Dr. King letter that I read about kind of taking up an education as your <laughs> as your cause um, might not be exactly what students are doing now, but we're taking up, you know, comfort in other forms of betterment. And for them in 1968, it was education. And for us, maybe in this age, it's more creative pursuits or for many, it is still education and learning new things and taking, you know, a free online course about whatever it may be. So something else that our archival team found, which was really amazing, 
was a letter from the Spelman Spotlight, which was a campus publication that was written in 1968, which was a letter from seniors to the rest of the student body. Um, And it was written by a student named Marilyn Hunt. And I just want to read it to you all and we can reflect. It's called Your Mind Runs On. Hopefully you all enjoy it. Transcripts late, wedding plans incomplete, job interview tomorrow, paper due today. Grad school record scores disappointing. Oh, library, $5. Forget to make reservations at Pascal's. Need dress for Capadon dance. A senior's mind runs on as the confused bliss of college runs out. The four years pass quickly, and though they'll be your fondest memories, you're glad they're over. You probably haven't had time to evaluate your years at Spelman yet, but you will. For what you did here is now the mold with which you'll shape all else you do. You'll ask yourself soon, as Dr. Hardling says, where do we go from here? Perhaps then you'll backtrack a moment and ask yourself, where have I been? Did Spelman do anything for me and did I do anything for her? What did Spelman mean to me? Though I complained about her inadequacies, belittling my own, do I owe Spellman anything? Will you say, Spellman failed me, or I failed Spellman? Will you help build Spellman up or tear her down? Wherever you go, you take Spellman with you because the measure of any institution is the caliber of its graduates. Spellman mm. opened her gates to you and let you lean upon them. Now her gates lean upon you. By your lives, you can make them stately and strong for your daughters to lean upon. Seniors, Spellman will miss you. May she be an ins- a better institution because you passed through her gates and may you be a fuller persons because she opened her door for you. And like mm-hmm. I said before, that was written by Miss Marilyn Hunt in 1968. Mm-hmm. So one of the first questions that Miss Hunt poses that's really interesting is just the question of where have I been in regards to the Spelman experience? And so we just want to get your thoughts, Autumn. Ooh, child, to the depths and the higher heights, I know. Um, (laughs) But seriously, though, um, there, and I say that, you know, laughing and jokingly, but I do mean that in the sense that um, there has been some low lows and there has been some high highs. Um, And so I think um, for me, a true transformative experience, Spelman experience, requires you to fail a lot, um, to hit brick walls, to... um, to celebrate, to cry, to be angry, to be happy, to feel love, to feel like, you know, it, it doesn't, I don't think that there is a nuclear sense of, um, what, where I've been at Spelman. And so I know I can take it in the very, very physical sense and I'm going to go there soon. But, um, I think that encompasses everything. Like I've, I've, she, she has been my homegirl for real. Like I've seen, she's seen the deeper depths and the higher heights. So I've, I've, I feel like I've succeeded or I've gotten my biggest W's at Spumman, but I also felt like um, deep, like I was there in the belly of Spumman when I faced my greatest failures. And I think both are very important to highlight, no matter how accomplished folks um, externally um, perceive me. I just want to put that out there very publicly that I've been, I've been, I've been to the, I've been to the wayside. (laughs) And so but if we want to say like very, um, very, very literally, 
I've been, I've, I have studied abroad. I've had, um, I have studied at um, a guest institution. I have been guest speaker for many places. Um, I've carried the Spelman name and it has gotten me very places, but and in the sense that like I, you know, I'm a UNCF Mellon fellow. And so that has afforded me many opportunities to, you know, like I said, um, study at guest institutions and all of those things. But, and those are all great and fine. I'm thankful, but I wanted to really highlight that, you know, one is not a true Spelman experience, no matter how accomplished somebody said that they have, like they are at Spelman without acknowledging that, you know, some of the greatest failures often happen at Spelman too. Mm. So what are you thinking when you heard the quote, did Spellman do anything for me and did I do anything for her? She has showed me that I never have to choose between what I want and what I need. Matriculating through Spellman, you know, you know that you're, the, the, bar, the bar of expectation rises um, as you become a student and it's became Mm-hmm. very clear like what Spelman expects of us but at the same time I also know in order to succeed I know that I have to implement things of leisure so like you know writing or you know Netflixing or finding very necessary components of rest that holds like my working spirit in the sense that like you know I have to I can pause and I can play very simultaneously and I think that Spelman has done that for me do I do anything for her I would like to think I have left seeds that will not be watered until after I leave. People may not, I may not be, you know, published on the Spelman Connection as like a star student, but they're best believe there has been like marks that I've left and that will be watered, whether that's me, you know, like in how I archived my senior thesis and that be taught on and on and on or just even how it's like been, how it will be referenced. But I think that in the years to come, like I will like lead that conversation, that discourse in terms of how we interact with the institution and how we form a relationship with Spelman that I think will be watered well after I'm gone. Yes. That's beautiful. So now thinking about the question that you've sort of touched on in these other quotes that we're reading out, but what about the question, what does Spelman mean to me? What does Spelman mean to you, Autumn? She means everything. Um, she means everything to me. And it's kind of, it's a very interesting relationship. And I, I know I speak as if like, you know, I'm personifying Spelman, but that's like, that's the best way for me to like, you know, articulate these things. Mm-hmm. But in the sense that I have now have a life for myself or I have dreamed or imagined a life for myself that I could have never envisioned without like matriculating through like- here. So whether that being the that chosen family. That makes emotional to hear. <laughs> that's beautiful. It's uh, very real. Yes. And so whether that's the chosen family that I'm walking out of here with, whether that's the career pathways that I didn't even know I can do with a social anthem major, um, or just the way that my mind has literally been cracked open <laughs> to understand and unlearn and relearn and fail and try again. Um, so many, you know, mental dynamics that have been changed just by like attending here so it's like she means everything to me in the sense that like I literally cannot conceptualize myself or the growth that I've experienced or the person that I set forth to become without Spelman in that picture and whether no matter what critiques I have of her or um what I will you know say I think that you know that is like at the core that's like you know I'm a 
I'm a Feminite, you know? <laughs> Love it. Oh, final lines that we're going to pull from this piece is thinking about this quote. Though I complained about her inadequacies, belittling my own, do I owe Spellman anything? I believe I owe Spellman unconditional and unwavering love. Full stop. This is the next sentence. With, <laughs> with knowing what love encompasses, I know that love is meaning that you love something so much that no one is exempt or nothing is exempt for making it better. And so um, I think in terms of things that are not inadequate, I think, you know, like Spelman is an institution that has constantly been evolving and evolving with the love that I have for her. I believe like, you know, the critique is not necessarily like unsound ones in the sense that I feel like the love that I will continue to pour into her is like to better myself as a facilitator of knowledge, as an instructor, as a teacher, um, a potential um, a social a social justice advocate, um, like water myself in the ways that I would like to come back and implement here at Spelman. So I think like loving something enough to know that it can be so much better is um, a better way, to, I think, to frame this question. But I think from here, for me, like, I would like that celebration of my graduation and commencement festivities. Mm -hmm. But I know that I, I will leave here. And even with COVID-19 and everything that has happened and like the, very, the abrupt stop to my senior year, I know that it, it ended the way it needed to be. And I know that I'm leaving here in reflection of my, my alma mater um, with unconditional and unwavering love. Is anyone else tearing up? This conversation is really powerful, and I think it's just made even more powerful when reflecting on our current circumstance. So, definitely, what very well said, Autumn. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Autumn. We really appreciate the richness and perspective you added to this episode, and speaking about the mark you've left on Spellman no joke you've left a mark on me and we love you and appreciate you so we know you will continue to make an impact on this institution oh wow really? thank you I love every single like I when I I'm not like exaggerating like each one of you have a piece of my heart and like I would not be the same <laughs> leaving here I know we're like in distance but I just hope I can just feel the intimacy virtually and I just like trust when I say like I love every single one of you Thank you. Bye. Bye, Autumn. All right. So now we're going to transition into our main discussion of how the COVID-19 crisis has impacted college students and their lives and what's going on and how we think about what's going on, etc. Our first um, response was from Miss Danielle King. She says the following. This semester, I was a part of a study abroad program, but of course had to come home after five weeks, and I've been in quarantine for seven weeks now. My Monday to Friday are mostly the same. I wake up around eight and work, around, work on my program paper for four hours and then go for a run. I started running because as I stay inside, I become more restless and it helps um, with my anxiety sometimes. I also just got I also got Just Dance, the Xbox. Yeah. On Saturdays and Sundays, I mostly cook slash bake and watch Girlfriends. I'm most definitely a mix of Joan and Lynn. <laughs> That's funny. 
Um, and she says that the best way I'm coping is having days where I call my friends. I do not have one day where I do not talk to at least one person or have movie nights via Zoom. I also started many projects to do like knitting or planning trips for my family members. Yoga has also become a thing I love to do because with all the sitting I do, my body has become stiff. I relate, girl. <laughs> I'm stiff. <laughs> Um, She says she's also been taking the time to understand herself better and to heal and forgive. Even though she's sad she's not abroad, she has never been happier with herself. Thanks, Danielle, for um, for joining in our conversation and sending in your routine. That was so nice. Wow. So what have you guys been up to in quarantine? Do you have a daily routine or a weekly routine like Danielle? I think for me, I wouldn't say I have an official routine. Uh, routine but I do like I mentioned earlier I have been prioritizing just reading more distancing from social media because just reading all the reports about coronavirus or just seeing so many tweets that you know make my heart ache and just make me reflect and kind of get sad just reading that every day wasn't healthy for me and I recognized that I need to take a break so I've been limiting my social media interaction. So I try not to be on there more than at least two hours a day. No more than that. That is amazing. That's, you are so powerful yeah. for that. <laughs> Truly. And it's for the best because this stuff is draining. Like the news is draining and that's all that's, that they talk yeah. about. <laughs> so and it's like important to be informed or whatever, but. There's a difference between being informed and reading everybody's think piece and take on the situation and, right. you know, you, you know, we don't need all of that. I think I definitely would like to make the case for happily taking in mindless content <laughs> because one thing that's crazy about living throughout this time is that it seems like everything deserves your immediate attention because suddenly there's this very clear burden that what you do impacts not only your life, but everyone's life around you. And so, listen, take that hour to watch TikTok, I say to myself, five times a day. You know, take some time to just decompress. Whether that be running, whether that be knitting, whatever. Just relax. (laughs) Well, it's funny you should bring this up, Hollis, because we actually have a voicemail. Hey, Blue Record team. I wanted to start a discussion around how people are choosing to spend their time in quarantine. Some people are learning a new skill. Others are taking this as a relaxing period, and many others have to work. What are y'all's thoughts on the best uses of our time, especially as students? Thanks for that, Kevin. (laughs) I think um, his point connects directly to what you were saying, Hollis, about kind of the importance of relaxing and there's been a lot of because people are bored like I get that people are looking for things to do so yeah if you have the energy and you want to start a business Please go do. right ahead but but you know the productivity propaganda trying to get all of us to start businesses it's just not something that I personally have the energy for so I mean, what do you think, Kayla? What are the best uses of our time? I mean, it really just depends on you. But one thing I would encourage people to do is just take time to reflect. Um, 
some of the times when I would be on Twitter, I noticed that a lot of people were finally like posting things about what they've been reflecting on while in quarantine. And I know for some people, that's their feelings and emotions towards things that they've been dealing with for a while. And I know for me, I've been taking the time to reflect on how I feel about certain people, certain things, and just journaling it. Uh, when I was younger, my grandmother would always give me a journal every year. Every summer, I would go down. And I have a lot of journals that are blank, but I've been taking those journals and I've been writing in them now, just how I feel, what I'm thinking. And it's allowed me to really work through some internal you know, internal pain. I realized that this need to always be productive and this need to always show up that, you know, we were all used to as a normal in our society. This quarantine has really given me the chance to reflect on. I've really let a lot of things just get to me and I've never made time to work them out. And I think to answer Kevin's question more directly, like, like you said, I think all of our best uses of our time is to better yourself, but bettering yourself can look very different to different people. So for you, it's reflecting. For Hollis, it's, you know, being on TikTok for two hours. Thank you for being <laughs> very conservative with that time estimate. <laughs> Another thing I do suggest is sustaining our community ties. Please check on your friends. As the strong friend in my group, I'm glad my friends check on me because um, it's kind of hard. There's some days where you just, you're questioning what's next. So that would be something I would say to check on those you care for and you love. If it's a simple text message, if it's you sending them a tweet, if it's you doing a TikTok challenge with them, whatever it is, but make sure that the people you care about know that you see them and you love them and that you're there. Well, Kayla, that's actually a great point because we have another voicemail, this time from listener Grant. Beep. Hey, I just wanted to hear you all's opinion on how it looks to show up for your AUC siblings um, outside of just general kindness and um, compassion, how it looks to tangibly show up for all of us, including um, men of Morehouse. Thanks for that question, Grant. I think that's something really important to bring up in this time because there's so much loss happening. And on the surface, it's just like loss of social time, loss of, you know, physical, I guess, connections to our community. But people are also losing in a lot of other ways. Like people are losing their jobs, like Abby was talking about earlier. People are losing you know, their college hubs is like a sense of safety and like a safe place to be. And I've really been reflecting on what it looks like to show up for people when that degree of loss is happening. And all I have come to so far, which I would love to explore more with you all, um, is reaching out. I've actually talked to some of my old friends or some of my like extended family members more in this quarantine period than I have in literal years, which in some ways feels sad, but I also feel grateful in other ways that at this point we have time for one another. And so I think that's something is, that's really important to do. Like Kayla was saying earlier, it's just reaching out and checking up on everyone because at this point in time, I truly have no excuse and great incentive. And so I'm wondering if that's something that you all have also been experiencing, like talking to people that 
maybe you haven't connected with in a while or like what's what does that look like for you well it's interesting that you said that because I actually think that I kind of operate Mm -hmm. in an opposite way where I I've always really liked being by myself and which this might sound confusing for people because I'm on a podcast but I don't really like talking on the phone (laughs) all that much I've always had a lot of phone anxiety so now the fact that everything's like zoom calls and facetime and (laughs) it's kind of exhausting to me um as a person who's very introverted naturally and um you know enjoys being alone (laughs) solitude I've had quite a bit of that in quarantine and I can't say that I like haven't enjoyed it I've, <laughs> I really like being by myself so after the pageant so. um that's when I started to hear from people and most of my friends reasoning for not reaching out sooner was because they were kind of like you know I'm sure campaigning in a pandemic was stressful I'm sure you know still doing schoolwork when you're not really motivated to do it was tiresome so one thing I would say is a big thank you to my friends my family just for working with me loving me and just you know giving me time I think that's the main thing I've noticed in all of our conversations we've been giving our friends time that time and the space to just work it out and we've been going off social cues to know when to check in so that's powerful and that's real yeah that's that's good. And I think that's that's all we can do to answer you, Grant. I think we gave two different perspectives and, you know, that's all we can do. Just try and be there for each other in the way that we think our friends need, <laughs> which is super vague. So again, Grant, and to all of our letter listeners or listener letters, you know, thank you guys for participating. I hope people continue to send voicemails and email us during this transition. And this allows me to transition to thinking about the macro impacts of COVID. So Gabby Hollis, I just wanted to get your take. What do you guys think needs to happen in this pandemic for us to ensure that people's human rights and needs are being met? How do we as a nation or whose job is it? Like what organizations, what local, regional, national responsibilities need to be taken accountable for ensuring the needs of everyone during this time. Well, Kayla, the answer, I think, is just that it's, it's so complicated. And I think the complications of our system have never been more evident than they are right now, because the major cities are dealing with it in a completely different way almost than a lot of the more rural areas because it's 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 a danger zone. It's a hot zone, especially if you're living like in apartment buildings in downtown city limits. Your whole way of life is being changed, et cetera. And all the mayor can really do is say, like set a curfew. Like what did Keisha Lance Bottoms do? She said mm-hmm. curfew. <laughs> but then the government, uh, the governor was like actually nobody can do you can't this this on the city level can't go against what I'm saying on the state level so even though she's tried to be like well we're not reopening he was like yeah they can (laughs) 
<laughs> Mr. Kemp. These structures don't really have human rights on their mind. Everything, the discussion is really framed about the big thing on everyone's mm-hmm. mind is work. When are we getting back to work? And that's because of money, which is capital, capitalism, <laughs> boom, connect. Okay. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is that the, the complexities are basically revealing the fact that not only do we have like a bad communication between what the people want and what the governments are doing for us, our motives aren't important to them at all. What the people want is not what motivates these entities because if that were true, then we probably wouldn't be opening yeah. up in 10 days. Or I think that um, for me, something that has become really apparent is how much culture impacts um the legal decisions like made in a country so when we think about america we mm-hmm. have the highest rate of infection and death in the entire world and the virus didn't even originate here which is really telling um and something that i'm seeing with the protesters um to elaborate on that, the people protesting oh, yes, in that. states that have heavy lockdown restrictions on the lockdowns themselves, a lot of the rhetoric behind that is, you know, the disease isn't that bad. You know, a lot of people survive. It's going to be fine. We just want to go back to work. To me, something that's really revealing is how detrimental our like individualistic mindset is in this country. Because some of the reasons that it's been so hard to get people to really take lockdown and social distancing from local everyday people to uh, major leaders in our communities taking it seriously is because we're very much in the mindset of my life is my life. I'm going to do whatever I want. Hopefully it works out for you all, but you all should just try harder if it's not working out. And, you know, how do you say that to people that are unemployed how do you say that to people that are homeless that have no food that have these you know unstable living conditions it's just the fundamental mindset that we have as an American people is problematic yeah I think you perfectly put it couldn't have said it better (laughs) for sure literally if I tried my hardest um kind of related to that though we had a tweet from at Femme Noir on Twitter asking us if we can talk about the overrepresentation of Black folks not following social distancing and the lack of nuance investigating, the lack of nuance investigation of why these Black folks are not. So kind of what you were saying, Hollis, about how, you know, <laughs> there, there are these protesters and there's people who, and we talk about this individualistic mindset in America Um, A lot of what's been shown on social media and what's been in the news is large groups of Black people, you know, maybe not following social distancing, maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, walking around in large groups. And that's kind of become a lot of the narrative, um, as she says, an overrepresentation. So we, as we, as we know, you look at the Florida situation, uh, it's not just Black people. Okay, that are that not, are not even following mostly. all the guidelines. Can I kick this off real quick? Of course. So, 
first thing yes, you can. to um, <laughs> at Femme Noir, you bring up a good point because this just goes to show about the power of imagery. In times like this pandemic, it's truly showing how the most underutilized forms of expression in our country are being overutilized now to make political statements. By using images of brown and black people out and about during this pandemic, it's not only feeding the agenda of whiteness, but it's also perpetuating this narrative that there is an ignorance in the black community. But that's not the case. For most people, they don't get it. To social distance is a privilege. To be in your house is a privilege. To have food, water, access is a privilege. And for some people, they don't have the privilege to stay home and work from home. They don't have the privilege to think that, oh, I know I have another source of income coming in next week. That's not everyone's narrative. So to do that, that's shameful. That's shameful on anyone who's contributing to that narrative and like sustaining it and perpetuating it. Because I know for me, my family and I, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we go and pick up lunches from DeKalb County. Um, in Atlanta, there's a lunch program for students who are in K through 12, and you can go outside and go get that lunch. So what if some type of reporter took a photo of us driving, going to get the food that my family needs? Is that a crime now? I, I just, I don't like that narrative. But I think the main point I just want to articulate is that it is a privilege to social distance. And for some brown and black families, they're trying to navigate how to social distance, but at the same time, stay afloat and maintain their own like peace of mind and access to things they need. Like some people have to go to CVS and pick up their medication because of underlying health um, issues. Some people actually have to go to work because they are our mailmen. They are the people who are making the lunches for the students who, you know, for K through 12 students in Atlanta. Some people are our health workers. Like there are people who have to go. So don't assume that because you see a group of black people in an image that they're just doing nothing. Let that not be the answer. Keep that same energy for those who are on the beaches in Florida. Because if you're gonna talk about Oh, never mind. I'm going to be quiet. But yeah, stop that. Like, that's just propaganda at this point. I definitely agree. And I think that something that's also really I important agree. to keep in mind with seeing these images of not just Black people, but people of color in general just being overrepresented in this narrative about who is putting the community at danger, which is clearly a narrative that we hear in many situations, um, is thinking about the fact that Black and brown people are dying at such expedited rates of this virus. When we talk about uh, states like Texas and Georgia, I believe in Georgia, 80% of cases are African-American people that have COVID-19. And so also do not undermine the narrative that black and brown people are experiencing incredible amounts of pain, incredible amounts of loss of loved ones while also being a majority of essential workers that still have to go outside and still have to work to support their families and jobs that are typically not very high paying either. And so I think about this overrepresentation of Black people in media, but also a deep underrepresentation of the impacts that death and dying is having on our community and will continue to have long after we even find a vaccine at some point. Yep, y'all summed it up perfectly. And kind of continuing on this point, 
what do you guys as college as college students what do you guys hope policymakers and voters learn from this whole situation personally i think that's something that has really been revealed through this whole crisis um, that's really important to highlight is the are the qualifications for these stimulus check situations um, that are not only negatively impacting a lot of like black communities and small businesses and things like that, but also the ways that they're being disseminated to college students. Essentially, if you are a college student, and I believe it's if you don't work, because then you don't file like W-2 forms and things like that, um, you mm. can be claimed or you might have been claimed as a dependent by your family and you don't have access to the full $1,200. Also, if you're over the age of 16, I believe you don't get any kind of, like, neither you or your parents oh, will get any money, so... Absolutely. Most college and students are about, over that age. Uh, the Spelman population, in which I believe, is it 40% or over half of our students are Pell eligible? A lot of students work to be able to pay for an education right. or just pay for their basic necessities. And when you're taken out of the context of your college town and placed back in your home where a lot of people have either been laid off or they have to go back because so they have nowhere to stay now, um, thinking about how fragile the economic situations of students is is really heartbreaking to me and really shows that one the price of college is ridiculous <laughs> and how fragile <laughs> how fragile college students <laughs> are while trying to gain this quote-unquote coveted degree is ridiculous but also that colleges have to have a lot more to offer than just an education because students truly rely on their schools as hubs of safety for food for housing for all of these things that far pass just an educational value I think this like the discussion we're having now is very important and can serve as a good model for how like the, the being a college student is just one kind of precarious way to view the situation. Obviously, there's lots of other Absolutely. different groups of people that are being heavily impacted. But, you know, we can only say <laughs> we can only speak from where we are and where we are as young black students in college who come from varying different amounts of you know, varying financial backgrounds and, you know, our discussion and our discussion with our listeners and with the larger AUC community and just HBCU community in general um, is is a precarious position to be in. And it's important to um, discuss not only what we've been through, but what we want to see I in agree. the future. So we've had a robust conversation about the impacts of COVID-19, but now I want us to transition to perspective because there is power in perspective and for me when I think about this pandemic I also see it as an unexpected reboot and it's something my grandmother and my mother and I had on one of our weekly phone conversations in which we talked about how even amidst the fear and the unknown of this virus it has brought a reboot it's not a reboot that doesn't have consequences, but it's a reboot nonetheless that allows for reflection, allows for space, allows for 
the reinvention of what society can be. So with this mindset, I kind of want to talk about like the teaching moments. Like what have you guys gleaned from or have learned from this unexpected reboot about yourself and possibly society? Mm. You want to go first, Gabs? My takeaway has been just how, you know, the transition has been hard, but it was doable. So all of these kind of structures that we're so familiar with broke down and changed real quickly when they had to. So it kind of, (laughs) you know, my teaching moment has kind of been a revelation. Yeah, where I'm just a period of realizing things. (laughs) Um, and I've realized that things like things like the work week, things like nine to five work schedule, you go into an office and clock in. Everyone's at home. <laughs> the meetings are all on Zoom now. Working from home means you can work whenever you want. And some people like have actually seen more production that way. It's been, have mm-hmm. been more productive. And then, you know, we see things like just like we take the stimulus check with the government money. Oh, where the government's so, you know, the budget doesn't have room for that and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, when we needed it, all of a sudden there was $30 million to not only give us money, but then there was even more money to bust to, you know, save the banks and save Wall Street and right. save these restaurants, these massive corporations. So, you know, that's kind of been my realization throughout this time on a societal level yeah I think for me on a societal level as well but also on a personal level what I've learned is that we have to stop centering our lives around work or our jobs because as we've seen throughout this pandemic that is continuing to happen work can be taken away so quickly and the things that really provide a lot of value to our lives are things that we're having to make do with in other circumstances you know like what do people do when they can't say hi my name is Hollis and like this is my job you know like who are your friends who is your family what are you doing that actually provides joy and value to your life outside of what makes you money because money is volatile, especially in the economic situation that this country is in. And I think that's something that's really going to stick with me far past when this virus ends. And that's powerful. And what you just said really leads into my main thought about the teaching moments. And it's what's life after COVID, because we have to keep in spirits that there will be an after. And I want to know, like, what do we need to do? Like, what are the steps we must implement to initiate healing, especially as college students? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of the kind of the new popular sentiment going around is that going back to normal is kind of a dead concept. There is yes. no normal now. So we're going to be living in a post-COVID world for quite some time if not forever so we're, we're seeing a fundamental shakeup of how things operate and you know 
going through that and talking about what's next for us as students, us as people, us as a society is honestly something I can't really comprehend right now. (laughs) It's a lot. It is so up in the air. We're still at a point right now where this is being recorded where we don't know what the long-term impact is really going to be. We don't know if, you know, how we're returning to campus in the fall, if and if or when. So I don't know. And, and so, you know, for me, what I've been trying to remind myself to do is to try and get comfortable with the unknown aspect. Because as someone who deals with anxiety, that's oftentimes like the the largest you know, anxious trigger is like, I don't know what's going on, or I can't be in control. So for myself, another teachable moment, I guess, would be learning to accept when things are out of my hands, accept that I can't control everything. And we're living right now in in a perpetual, uncontrollable situation. So all we can really do is learn to be okay with that until we get some more information I think for me, the path towards healing starts with inner healing. And I don't know where everyone is right now. I don't know where all my friends are. Um, Cause you know, people will only tell you what they are comfortable telling you. And I wanna be respectful of that. I don't know where everyone is. I don't know where everyone's head and heart is at. But I think for me, the only thing I can encourage is that the path towards healing starts with reflection. And I'm happy to say that I am seeing a shift in thinking, a shift in um, being in some of the people in my life. And I'm hoping that's happening on a global scale. And I think where healing begins is when we begin to put humanity at the forefront, at the reconstruction of what society will look like after COVID. And what that means is having conversations about accessibility, our healthcare systems, our um, education systems, these systematic oppressions that have for so long gone unchecked or silenced, having those conversations, who's gonna be um, responsible for having them? All of us. Accountability is something our society lacks. And I think we all need to just remember that this society needs us. We all have to contribute to the reframing and reshaping of life after COVID. Absolutely. I hope that as a society, one way that we heal is to continue to be concerned for one another and about how we're all living. Because something that was said really early in when the virus was spreading worldwide was this question of, or this statement that, you know, this virus doesn't discriminate Um, When a lot of like world leaders and other places, especially were becoming sick, or celebrities were becoming sick. It was a really interesting moment, because we have so many barriers and so many prejudices that divide us. But suddenly, when everyone is affected by the same issue, and it's in all of our faces on the news 24 seven, there's this sort of universal concern for other people that I hope that we maintain Because we have to ask the right questions in order to make a change that's sustainable for everyone, not just for people that have been put in sort of the upper echelons of society. (laughs) 
Um, we actually have one last voicemail that's, you know, dealing with transitions, but uh, how Spellman is going to transition. So this is from Maya. Beep. Hey guys, my name is Maya. I'm a rising senior. And my question for y'all is, what do you guys think about the possibility of going back to campus in the fall? I know it's been on my mind lately, and I just want to know what you guys think. Will we be online? That's something that's been weighing on the minds of everyone that will be returning to some sort of undergraduate program in the fall, whatever that may be. And thankfully, at this point in time, Spellman actually has outlined some options during the virtual town halls that have been going on. And we're going to read them to you right now just to let you all know what's going on if you haven't tuned into those so far. So there are four, five-ish options right now, and I'm going to start reading them now. The first option is that we return to campus at a normal time, so some point in August, and we have to wear masks. There's hand sanitizers everywhere, and in some way, we attempt to practice social distancing. What that may look like to be determined. Um, The second option is sort of a hybrid of different options. So students who wish to return to campus can, while others can remain at home for virtual online instruction. So with better interfaces and platforms to adapt to this new virtual learning, Um, Students will have the option to be able to go online to get their classes if they don't feel safe on campus. The third option is that the school itself opens later in the semester. So as opposed to starting in August, we start October, November, that's to be determined. Um, However, one of the concerns with that is that flu season begins in mid to late October. So The schools, um, not just Spelman, but other universities across the United States aren't really sure what's the safest option, considering that students will be getting sick, as we all do during that time. And the fourth option is that we continue to have a complete virtual learning experience. Spelman's definitely outlined, like I said earlier, that there are different changes and interface changes that'll be happening. So that process can be smoother than it was this spring, but definitely going completely virtual is an option. So none of these options take priority over one another. Spelman, like other universities, is looking at scientific data as well as what other universities around the country are considering, just like was the case when we were seeing extensions of spring breaks and cancelings of the semester. So those are about four options that were outlined in the virtual town hall. What do you all think about what Spelman's outlined so far? I mean, it's just the, you know, obviously everybody wants to just go back to campus. Mm -hmm. So anything that's not that is going to be disappointing. And this is really all that they can do. (laughs) So, you know, at, at this point, it's really a waiting game. And I hope that it doesn't, I hope that we do not have another virtual semester. And if we do, can't say that I'll be enrolled. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. That's I'm, honest. Yeah. No, I agree. I was agreeing with you because I know some of my friends have told me they're considering not returning or enrolling again if the semester is virtual. So I think that is something our universities 
are going to have to take into account when going about drafting up plans for the fall. But I know for me, I don't know what's going to happen, but I am hoping that if we all continue to social distance and really take the advice of medical experts and health professionals right now and really implement it, even if our states are reopening, you know, you have a choice to be an advocate for other people's health and your own health. And this is the time to shine. Um, college students, please, if we want to have a in-person fall semester with possible modifications to our social life, it starts now with how we social distance. Because if we don't curve the virus, it's going to be it's going to be virtual. Like, that's just the reality of it, because no one wants to take those risks. So... We all have to play our part, and it starts now. Social distance, y'all. Obviously, we can't predict the future, but I'm curious if we were to be allowed back on campus, especially thinking about this sort of hybrid option, would you all feel safe or feel comfortable coming onto campus or potentially living on campus? I think the most concerning part of that would just would be dorm living. <laughs> like that would be the most concerning part. Like when, when they talk about having classes online, but still being on campus, I don't feel like class is as dangerous as, you know, me sharing a bathroom with some, another person. Right. Or eating so, in the cab. If you know. not, exactly. If not right, 20 exactly. other people. So I think they're, they're I mean, as, as Spelman currently operates, no, I wouldn't feel too safe. But if they were to really step up kind of, you know, the um, cleanliness like guidelines or have different like, you know, standards for how to serve food or whatever, like, you know, implementing these different things that other businesses are trying to do, then, you know, who, who, who knows? We, we'll see because it, it might have to be like this could be our reality for some years. So we can't just stay, we can't, you know, be on lockdown forever. We have to come out at some point. So it might just be that there is some new disinfectant or something that they, or some new policy on how to clean tables or whatever it is. I don't know. Clean surfaces. I share your sentiments, Gabby. I think for me, my concern would be the living aspect and the dining services. Um, I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably going to. I also think that something that's relevant to the conversation is thinking about the fact that as Spelman as an institution currently stands, I don't know how controversial this is, but we already have a housing shortage. Um, yeah. I believe in the last lottery for housing in the fall or this coming fall, about 200 students at least did not get housing that wanted it. And so I'm thinking about if we were to have to find a way to live, but also socially distance, would it even be possible for like the roommate situation to be an option? Would it have to be one person to a dorm? Would it have to be, you know, more students are looking for apartments off campus or students are in some priority ranking, like forced to stay home or allowed to come onto campus? It'll be an interesting time to say the least. Thanks, you guys, for another great conversation. And thanks to everyone who sent in emails and listener voicemails. 
If you want to um, send us a voicemail of your own, head over to our Instagram and check out the instructions for how to do that. And the links and everything are all there. You can also send us an email at bluerecord at scmail.spelman.edu. Um, you can also visit our website for more information, and that is theblurecordpodcast.com. Reach out to us in any of those three ways. Also, follow us on Twitter at the Blue Record, on Instagram at the Blue Record, and check out our Facebook page, which will continue to be updated throughout, uh, you know, our time here throughout the year. Um, and that's the Blue Record Podcast on Facebook. Kayla Hollis, thanks for another good chat. We will make it. Until next time. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. <laughs> yes. Continue yes, to be safe. Stay healthy. And with much love, we are your blue record.